Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It is Friday, and you know what that means. I am ready to go. I am ready to share a conversation with someone in the hobby that I think has some good perspective, is running a business in the hobby, believes in the hobby. I am joined by my man, Nick, at War Sports Cards, bringing him back on the pod. I wanted to have him come on, talk a little bit about consignment. I've been using him as a consigner, talk through that process, provide some education around it. Also get into some of the behind the scenes stuff. We talk about shill bidding. We talk about what some of the markets are doing from a behind the scenes perspective. A lot of good insights, a lot of good nuggets in this one. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the subscribe button. Most importantly, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. I do appreciate it. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. Let's go. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm excited. I've got a repeat guest on. I'm joined by Nick. Nick runs Wharf Sports Cards. If you've been a listener of the pod over the last month or so, I've been talking a lot about just like personally going through the the consignment process. I use Nick. I use Wharf. Um, I think as I've been hitting topics of consolidation, um, being busy in life with kids and a uh, busy career, um, it's been easy for me to kind of send my cards over to him and um, get them listed. So probably talk a little bit about consignment. I also want to talk about just like digging into the behind the scenes nature of what Nick does and what he sees. And he probably has a lens that a lot of us don't necessarily have in the hobby. So we're going to get into a bunch of stuff. Um, but without further ado, Nick, how are you doing? I am good, man. I'm excited to get back on here with you for a second time. Um, you know, humbled to be back on again and excited to take a break from uh, handling cards and actually get to talk about cards a little bit. Uh, what well, we need to get, we need to get you back to handling the cards so we can get <laughs> our cards that we're sending you um, to eBay. But um, kind of joking aside, I think you've been a, a one man team for quite some time and I know you're adding people and I've seen, you know, you, you're posting um, some uh, job listings of people to come join the team. Maybe like talk about that growth and um, just why you're adding people and what that's kind of uh, freeing you up to do. Yeah, man, it's it's been a whirlwind. We started, uh, you know, the Warp Sports Cards eBay consignment service in September of 2020. So it's been about a year and a half right now. And uh, up until November, up until the end of November of 2021, so a few months ago, it was, it was just me, believe it or not. Um, so that first, you know, 14 months, uh, was all me, Every, everything you saw, social media, um, handling all the eBay listings, building out our, our processes. I had some help building out the processes, but in, in terms of uh, operating it after it was built, all of that was me. Um, and, and, you know, it was a lot of 100-hour work weeks, to be honest. Um, but I knew that we had something brewing um, and people were appreciating the product. Um, and we saw that in the growth that we were seeing with, uh, you know, quarter over quarter uh, growth in terms of car- number of cards and, and the type of cards we were getting and the demand um, with just people reaching out about the service. So we started to add people at the end of November, um, 1st of December, and uh, we have four employees now um, and looking to add, continue to add um, as we go. I mean, we still need more people here in the office to handle kind of the day-to-day stuff. But what's really cool about first people that kind of get in on the ground floor of the business is they're going to be the first people that get a crack at the new opportunities that arise with the company. And that, that gets me excited to just help, help employees grow uh, individually, but also within the company um, and, and see them get excited about what we're doing as well. But it's, you know, adding new employees has allowed us to increase our capacity. We're, we're cranking out a lot more cards now than we were four months ago. Um, and, you know, it's really freed up more time to pursue 
you know, uh, some things that we're working on behind the scenes now that hopefully we'll be rolling out gradually over the next few months. And, and, you know, we see a lot of opportunity left with the consignment service and, and other things in this space. So we're definitely not slowing down at all. Awesome. And I want to get into just the consignment um, piece here in a second. But before I do, I, I've noticed just in the re- kind of recruiting and trying to bring on new people, you're leveraging right a, a platform we're all on uh, Instagram to get the word out. I'm sure you're, that's being publicized in a lot of different other places too. I'm curious, just like if anyone's listening and like is interested to like come check out and maybe be a part of the team, like what, like, what is the, what is like the profile of the individual that has, has joined the team so far? Is it someone who's deep in the weeds, who's in the hobby, like all of us, I'd love for you to maybe shed some light there. So we've had a little bit of everything, honestly. Um, You know, we've, we've got people that have been pretty deep into cards for a few years, you know, that, that have worked in the card space, whether it's been at a card shop or, um, you know, for other companies in some, some type of capacity. We've had people that are sort of kind of kind of dabbling in and out of cards, but haven't really been able to commit a lot of time to it that have come in and just gotten more excited about it um, as they've been around it more. I mean, so, something that I that I sell people on when when hiring is like, just think of how excited you get for a mail day and then understand that you will get that times 10 every single day you work here. Like like that's everybody's favorite part of the job is going to the post office or when FedEx comes or UPS comes and it's like, all right, what goodies do we have to open today? So it, it really does get the employees more excited about the cards as they, as they work and as they see more cards and learn more about what goes into selling cards and seeing what cards people are buying. I mean, it really just amplifies their interest. So um, we've had sort of a variety of uh, sort of like card engagement levels and experience levels, but they've all become, you know, amplified as they've, as they've worked here. So we're really looking for somebody. It, it definitely helps if you know a, a little bit about cards, obviously that helps, but we're going to give you the tools and education to learn more about every card um, that comes through kind of every segment of cards. Um, and just, you know, you really get, a unique behind the scenes opportunity to see how the hobby operates that you're not really going to find many other places. That's awesome. And I want to, a bit bulk of our conversation is going to be about that because I want to dig into that, but ju- jumping over to just like consignment and I'm going to start with just like a story. And I think this part of the reason why I want to talk about this is because it, it, it is, t- it took me maybe a year or so back in the hobby to understand like, the consignment process and why it's valuable to someone like me. But uh, last week, I think it was, yeah, last Wednesday, a card, and I won't, I'm not going to disclose the card yet. And I will when it gets in my hand and I'll share it and do all those Instagram things we all do. But a card popped up and it was a card I knew that it was the only crack that I'd ever get at obtaining this card. Got into negotiations with the individual who owned the card. Um, we both decided to go to bed. Um, I went, got up in the morning and went on a run. And all I could think about was the fact that how big of an idiot I was for not closing the deal and how I need to get home so I can message this individual and tell them that I need this card right now. Um, I did that, paid for the card, ended up getting it, which I'm thrilled about. It wasn't cheap. And so I have a family. I've got a little daughter. And I realized quickly that it's probably not in my family's best interest to be pulling thousands of dollars out for cards right now when I can just look at my PC where I build an equity and say, you know what, like here are cards here. Let me make the decision of how I can cover the cost of this sale that I just went through. So that's what I did. I, after I made the sale, had that rush, that enjoyment, and being like, yes, it's happening. But now it was like, all right, well, how am I going to cover the cost of this? Went to my PC, Judgment Day style, right? What cards are not going to make the list? And so then I take what approximate, I approximate, like this is around what I think will it take to cover the cost. And I, I sent those cards to Nick. And then, you know, it goes through the process of 
Nick listing them and then, you know, selling them and then I get paid out and then I pay for the card that I purchased a while back. Um, so that's to me, like I didn't have to th- like the toughest decision I needed to make was like deciding which were the cards. And then I just put them in a box and sent them to Wharf and had Wharf do your thing. So wanted to share that story. That's how I use consignment. And, and for me, it allows me to, when a card pops up, to not have fear of being like, you know what? Like, I can't purchase this card right now. It's almost like, all right, well, where does this card rank in my PC? And then it allows me to take the equity out of my PC and send them to you and then be whole again a couple of weeks later. So is that a fair, like, use case for why people use you. I'd love for you to comment on that or anything additionally. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, in that scenario, I would imagine that you already bought the card or knew you were going to buy, buy the card. I would imagine that you wanted those funds pretty quickly. And that's really how we've built our service is, is on speed. Uh, we guarantee cars to be listed within three business days of receiving, but honestly, they're they're usually listed the same day right now. Um, we just like to give ourselves a little leeway in case we get slammed with you know thousands of cards in one day, just depending on how shipping goes. But um, you know we're we're putting up listings the same day typically, but always within three business days. And when cards get paid for, we're paying you out within three business days. Again, it's usually sooner, but that's the maximum it would be. We're kind of at the mercy of eBay with them getting us the funds, but you can get in and out of our service in terms of sending us a consignment, getting paid. I mean, as quickly as 10 days. And I don't think you can find that. You can't find a faster turnaround anywhere else. Um, so I think that's you know a major advantage, especially in that scenario where you've already sort of paid for a card and you're looking to sort of reimburse yourself for those funds. and. Uh, you know, that's that's a big part of the service that we have. But we also provide transparency and communication above and beyond throughout the entire process. We don't ever want to leave you hanging on what's going on with your consignment. And you can probably speak on this as a customer, but we communicate, you know, with automatic automatic emails as anything happens with your consignment. You'll know exactly when we receive your package, you'll know when they're listed, you'll know when they get paid for, and you'll know when we pay you without us having to uh, DM you or text you or email you. It just happens as it happens. So, you know, we pride ourselves on that. But, um, you know, that's I'd say that's that scenario is the bulk of our customers. But you always have the people that, you know, just happen to have made purchases where the value of the card has gone up quite a bit and they're not as attached to it as they were before. And, and they, they think it's a good time to go ahead and move on and and free up some cash to then see what they might want to buy. Um, but I'd say that's the bulk of our customers. Um, and we really, we really try to focus on the collectors because I think the end of the day, what's going to drive this thing for the long haul is, is people being really passionate about their cards and, um, you know, sort of cycling through cards as their tastes change or as their funds grow or as you know they just evolve throughout their life um and sort of what they can fit in and what they can't but you know the passion is in the collector and and that's what gets us excited about the service that we provide and the people that we deal with there's there's uh, one thing i have learned is that as a collector i feel like i'm rewarded for activity the more activity i put in the more things happen on the other end and i think leveraging like any consignment wharf you um it allows me to uh be more confident and um it allows me to make moves that maybe six to 12 months ago i wouldn't have and like this is kind of like this is just this is a topic that like it didn't hit me until recently and i just felt like this is a really good time to bring this up because I, I think I've been, it's probably like every week or every other week I've been sending you cards because I've yes. been busy, right? I've been busy. <laughs> I'm getting PSA stuff back along with a lot of other people. Now that's right. getting leveled out. Um, like anyone in the hobby, like I want to climb the ladder. Like I want bigger and better cards and there's only so much time. So like my, my feedback before we get into just behind the scenes stuff, like if you're if if you are a, a busy parent who ha, is busy professionally and loves cards, like 
but doesn't like all the stuff like taking pictures, listing, communication, like consignment's a pretty good option. I agree, man. And that's, I think that's the most valuable thing we offer is time. Like you, you just get so much time back. Like you said, you know, you fill out the quick form just, just so we have your information and know how to pay you out and we can share our, our tracking system with you. Um, you package them up, you send them our way and you don't have to do anything and you get paid at the end and it's over. I mean, it's, it's, it literally saves you so much time and, and that has a value. It's hard to place a number on that, but especially, you know, the busier you are as you, as you become, you know, you get into your career, you get married, you have kids, like time becomes more and more valuable and more and more precious. So I think that's probably the biggest value proposition of our, of our service. Let's get into some of the stuff you're seeing behind the scenes. I, I love, like, I, I've noticed, like, there's definitely more content coming out from you, which uh, I've been following on Instagram. And I think one of the things that stuck out to me was a post you had recently. You like did a nice job, like describing like the reason why it's probably this high is because people who follow me probably use eBay. But like you broke down like where based on your own market research, like where people are buying cards, um, you know, this year. And I think it was like eighty four percent of the people were buying cards through eBay, which is uh, I you know that I I figured you know it's high. But like that's that just seemed crazy in comparison to everything else you had listed. So like I'd love to like maybe uh, get some perspective from you just on like you you operate through eBay, but maybe like eBay in comparison to other selling platforms, like what you're hearing from your customers or just from the rest of the market. Yeah, for sure. I think I always like to make that disclaimer. Like obviously, you know promoting eBay does benefit me. Um, so, you know, yeah, I like to throw that out there before I talk, talk up eBay, but, uh, you know, I think the advantages of eBay, the biggest advantage, especially as a buyer. And really, if you want to sell cards is the, the lack of friction, there's, there's less friction getting onto eBay as, uh, you know, compared to other platforms. If you want to buy on eBay, right, this, this is part of something that people complain about. Um, but it is an advantage. Like if you've never bought a card, you see it on eBay, you don't have an eBay account. You can create an eBay account right now and buy that card, right? The flip side of that is you can also do uh, dishonest things with creating those accounts so easily. But, you know, with extreme advantages, sometimes come, you know, dishonest opportunities. So in terms of buying cards, it's the easiest and quickest place to buy cards. You don't have to have funds in your account to buy cards like you do with other places. There's, there's not a credit card check yet, although they might be moving to that uh, to sort of deter and um, eliminate some of these unpaid, unpaid bidders out there. But it's easier to buy there than it is anywhere else. I think from a uh, access point, it's their search capabilities, I think, are the best out of any platform. Um, think of your saved searches. Think of how easy it is to just find a card you want and be able to go back to that three days later. Um, it, it's, it's so much more organized and uh, easier to search than any other platform. Um, but I also like, you know, something that people talk about a lot, and I think we might maybe get into is... Uh, sort of the bidding activities that happen on eBay, um, the negative bidding activities. Um, but the side of that that people fail to sort of recognize is that eBay showing bidder feedback, um, even though they sort of block out some of the ID name, it's actually the most transparent bidding platform out there. You can't see anything about any bidders on any other platform. Um, so it's, it's sort of up to you to either trust that company fully or not trust them. It, it, it's an all or nothing type of proposition. Whereas with eBay's bidding activity, you can go into the bid history, you can look at the bids and you can determine for yourself based on the education that's out there and that you've found, whether you think the bidding on those cards are legitimate or not. And you can choose not to bid or to bid on those cards. Um, so I think, you know, sort of contrary to what people might say a lot, I think the transparency of eBay is above and beyond any other platform. So, and then last but not least, you can't start your own business on any other platform, right? I can't have a XYZ consignment company on so-and-so platform. I can, I can do it on eBay, right? So the access it gives to collectors is on another level compared to other platforms as well. Um, 
obviously there's limitations of eBay. I think eBay knows those limitations, but I think the the advantages of eBay far outweigh the disadvantages. And we didn't even talk about reach. Obviously, those polls that I did clearly illustrate that there's way more people buying on eBay than there is anywhere else. Um, if you want to get eyeballs on your cards, put them on eBay. Um, I, I mean, it's it's not even close compared to other platforms. But like I said, I, I just think there's so many advantages of eBay that that far outweigh any of the disadvantages. So one of my, you, you touched on it a, a little bit, and I'd love to get your perspective. And if like if this happens with cards that come through you or what you're seeing, but I get updates about like bid shilling in my Instagram stories, right? Like people will say like, you know, Lameen James has been posting about tray cards and how every, like not a tray card is selling without someone shilling. And then uh, I heard uh, Christian Josh talk about the Mahomes prism rookie, how like literally everyone that's going to auction is getting shilled, which shilling is a big problem. We all know this. Um, we all want it to be better. It's just something that I think, unfortunately, has always been a part of the hobby. Greed is a part of the hobby. And I don't know, the best we can do at this point is like kind of play, do the fact that we're talking about it on this podcast, like because other people are sharing screenshots is I think a good thing, but maybe like touch on that. Like, do you see that happening just in listings? Like, if so, what do you do? Like, where are we at as like an industry on bid shilling? You probably only pay attention to what's happening on eBay, but I'd love any context or kind of behind the scenes look that you have just regarding bid shilling. Yeah. So, you know, I have a lot to say on this topic for, for one, I think, you know, again, contrary to what we see out there a lot, I think we need to take more accountability in, 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 uh, auction shilling. Um, all I usually see, or, or oftentimes what I see is eBay needs to clean up this or so-and-so needs to clean up this, but who's the ones out there shilling auctions. It's us. It's us in the hobby. It's not you and me, but it's people that are in the hobby, like you said, that are motivated by greed. So I think spreading, I think educating as much as possible, demonstrating to people what shilling might look like so they can maybe avoid bidding on those auctions. But I think at the end of the day, like we just have to have more integrity as consumers of this hobby and, you know, understand that you know, nobody wins when you shill an auction. If I own a card and I'm shilling other auctions of that card so that my card stays more valuable, maybe I sell that card for a better number than before, but the greater impact that that has on the hobby will hurt me later down the road. Um, it's, it's harder to see that and it's harder to look ahead for people um, that might need so-and-so money right now or, or X amount of money from this card or, or for whatever reason. But I like to, in everything that I do, I like to think of the greater impact that it has on the hobby. And I think that's something that people sort of, uh, you know, neglect to see as they make decisions in the hobby. But with shilling auctions, I think that's something we need to focus on more is let's take some personal accountability in this thing and uh, educate each other on what it looks like. And hopefully that further deters people from doing it. I also think platforms like Card Ladder, being able to verify sales. You know, again, it's not a perfect system, you know, with, with having to do that manually, but we're taking steps in the right direction to sort of, you know, not allow those auction shillings to have the impact those people want it to have by not including shilled auctions on card ladder whenever they're able to obviously see those activities. So I think we're taking steps in the right direction. Um, for us, what we do, again, we're, we're at the mercy of eBay's policies. Um, there is nothing anybody can do about that last minute bidder that throws in a bid with 10 seconds left. Even if I'm constantly monitoring bids, which we do, I can't monitor every single auction for the last 10 seconds of every single auction. But what we do is, you know, we have a list, a running list of sort of criteria um, that we look for in a bidder. It's not just zero feedback. Like, Believe it or not, zero feedback bidder, bidders often pay on items. It's probably more than 50% of the time. But what we look at is how many bids are on a card. Um, is it two people going at each other? Um, we look at you know the top three to five bids, not just the top bid. We go to their feedback. We see you know when's the last time they bought a card. Had they not bought a card for one year and they, they just bid $12,000 on a Michael Jordan Fleer 
PSA nine, you know what I mean? Like we have a running list of criteria that we look for. And if we determine that that bidding activity looks dishonest, we'll cancel bids. I, I cancel tons of bids every single day on all of our auctions. And, it, and like I said, it's not a perfect science. Sometimes, you know, we'll cancel bids in 10 seconds left in that auction, the zero feedback bidder will, will throw a huge bid up and they won't pay for the item. It's, it's not a perfect science, but we do pride ourselves on at least doing what we can do to deter that activity. I think like something you said a lot there. One thing that stood out to me is like 50% of zero feedback bidders pay, which is, that's not what I expected. That's incredible. And I think just this topic, bringing awareness to it, I I, I love uh, how you broke it down and how you view it. And I, I just, from like my lens, I think the worst case scenario is new peer person comes into the hobby. They don't realize that the auction shilling takes place and they, you know, really want a card and they don't understand, they don't understand how to look into the history. And then they end up, you know, maybe paying $2,000 more than they should on a card just because there's some weird activity to me, like, and I would love to know if like there's each auction I'm sure is different. One thing like outside of the zero feedback, one thing I always notice is like you get those auctions and you put up the card and, you know, in the first three hours, the card goes from, you know, maybe $9.99 and then all of a sudden it's up to like $600 in like a couple hours. And that always sent like, for me, that sends like red flags. And the red flags aren't necessarily bad, but to me, if I see something jump that quickly in short time, then I start to investigate. And whether that's a card I'm selling or a card that I want, I really start to dig in and be like, okay, well, maybe this isn't a good time to buy the card because there's like 10 other people that want this, or maybe this isn't the listing for me because it looks like there's some suspicious activity. Uh, is there anything else, like those quick run-ups, or is there anything else that like we should be looking for? just? To not necessarily say like this auction is being chilled, but just a safety mechanism for us to be putting up our guards when we're when we're bidding on cards. For sure, I think you know to play off of what you just said. I think uh, to be honest, that's the first thing I look at every morning is the previous night's listings. The first thing I do is say, is look at the bids and say, did any of these get bid way up immediately? And then those are the first bid histories I look at every single day. Because I do think that's an indicator. And here's a tip that I don't see people tossing out there. Like, say you're bidding on a, uh, we'll use Tom Brady because his cards have been talked about a lot lately. Say you're bidding on a Tom Brady card. It, it, it gets listed, you know, Monday night. You wake up Tuesday morning and you thought it was a $2,000 card and the bids are already at $1,900, right? It scares you away. Look at the bid history and look at comparable Tom Brady cards, maybe the same year, maybe the same card in a lower grade, or maybe the same card in the same grade, sold listings and look at the bid history on those sold listings and look for who the second and third bidders are. If you happen to see, okay, this guy with 75 feedback just bid this auction way up, he's the second bidder on all these other Tom Brady auctions. That's a major red flag, right? Somebody's bidding that auction up. And they're going to overbid it with a, an account that they're not going to pay for later on. Um, I think that's a tip right there. But usually, what we've found is it's not it's not it's not usually just a card that's getting shilled. It's usually a player. So we'll, we'll stick on Tom Brady, and I'm not saying he's he's being shilled. He's, he's really not, honestly. But if it's a Tom Brady so and so card that the bidding history looks suspicious, odds are. A lot of the significant Tom Brady cards that have sold recently are probably having similar bid histories. Um, like you said, Chris and the card ladder guys put out that stuff on the Mahomes Prism PSA 10, basically like all the auctions in the last two months not, not being paid for. Um, I, I can tell you that not just the case for his Prism. Look at a lot of other Mahomes rookies, especially the more common PSA 10s of his rookie cards. Most of them have the same type of outcome with their auctions. Um, so just a couple of extra tips there, but the biggest tip is know the number you will are willing to pay for a card and don't ever extend yourself on, on that number. And if you, if it goes for a higher number than you thought and you still want it, like, like I'm going to show you this card, you're going to get excited about this card. 
I just won this auction like in the last month. That's a Marvin Harrison Rubies. I saw that card. Right. It's a sweet. (laughs) That was on my watch list. Yeah. So I threw up a huge bid because I just wanted the card. I I mean, I put up like a $2,100 bid and I knew the card was not worth $2,100, but I I said, I am willing to pay $2,100 for this card. I thought it would go for like 1100 bucks. It went for like $1,900, right? I paid for it immediately because I knew what my bid was. I won it and I paid for it. I looked at the bid history and it was very suspicious, right? And I, yeah, I didn't want to pay, you know, more because somebody may have shielded underneath me, but I was comfortable paying $2,100 for that card. It went for under what I bid. I can sleep at night, right? But you know, if you follow those tips, you're going to be okay on the outcome of most of the auctions that you're you're going after. Badass card. I'm glad you ended up with that one. I did not. I I had that big purchase I talked about, so it scared me away from that one. Rip. But I got that's... his. Uh, I got his twin. Oh, look at the you, Marshall Falk. I <laughs> so, uh, appreciate those. One thing I've been humming on, and we'll get to some of this these other things that you're seeing. I guess let's talk football. What you just showed me, a Marvin Harrison Rubies, is a lot different than a Joe Burrow NT RPA. Most of the conversation, I feel like, within football, there's been a lot of momentum regarding Burrow, these young quarterbacks, obviously Tom Brady. Attention there. People still paying a lot of money for these players, the attachment to these players. However, you just like, you show, you just showed me like, my favorite receiver of all time, one of his best cards, like undeniable, like one of his best cards. And yeah, you know, $2,100, whatever, that's, that's a lot of money. But in comparison to like some of these sales of these guys, and I'm not trying to discount any of these young quarterbacks or young receivers, running backs, but like, think about like the career a guy like Marvin Harrison had. So like, I've been on this like path recently being like, there's all these Hall of Fame football guys and they've got great cards, but they're not getting the attention I think they deserve right now. What are your thoughts on that? This could be a whole five-hour podcast. Um, I'm extremely passionate about this, this subject and, and I, my thought process is very similar to yours. For me, I narrow it down even further to uh, Hall of Fame wide receivers and running backs because I think what we're seeing is uh, with, the, with the extra game in the league becoming more of a quarterback friendly league, we're going to see some crazy quarterback numbers over the next 30 to 40 years. I mean, all the current QB records could be toast in 30 to 40 years because of, you know, the rules that have made, you know, have protected quarterbacks more in, in sort of the offenses showcasing the, the quarterbacks more, you know, we've seen it with Mahomes' huge start. Um, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of these young quarterbacks break a lot of records. But the opposite is happening with wide receivers and running backs. The lifespan of a wide receiver and running back is, is much shorter now than it used to be. Um, so, you know, when I see a guy like Cooper Cup have one of the best seasons of all time, and I see the prices of these cards go for what they're going for, the first thing I do is look at Cooper Cup's career next to the Hall of Fame receiver's career. And, and it starts with Jerry Rice. And oh, yeah. a, another disclaimer, I'm a big-time Jerry Rice collector. And it's because I don't think any of his records are going to be touched in my lifetime. I mean, if you look at where he stands from a career standpoint, any record you want to look up, go on StatMuse, make up whatever criteria you want. Jerry Rice is probably number one. Um, and Cooper Cup would have to do what he did this year for I think it was eight straight seasons more to, to break Jerry Rice's career receiving record for yards. Um, and that, you know, the odds of that happening are very slim, even with an extra game. Um, then you have a guy like Marvin Harrison, who's top 10 in every category. He's got Super Bowls. Um, I mean, and it's, it's dirt cheap. Like, I overpaid on that card, and it was $1,900. It's one of his best cards. And I also think the 90s era, you can just be more creative and have more fun with what you collect. Because it's not like, oh, you got to go get his rookie card, and, and, and that's it. Or it's like, what parallel of a rookie card are you going to get? It's 
you can go any direction with 90 stuff that you want and you can get really rare, really cool, really desirable cards for really affordable prices. So, and I see, I see the stuff that happens on like the analog would be like basketball and what happens with some of these players and the prices and they're pretty significant. And I think about football and I think about just um, the guys we grew up watching and the nostalgia behind it. And a guy like, I was thinking about running backs and receivers too. And hall of and my, my, my like barometers all like is, has been hall of fame because like hall of fame and also cards that are in these modern sets, right? Like finest Chrome, like some of these. And I, I like a guy like Terrell Davis, right? Like he might not have had like the longest career, but man, when that guy was playing, he won super bowls and he was the best in the league. And then do you like shiny cards? We'll go dig into Terrell Davis's shiny cards, serial numbered cards. And all of a sudden you're on this like exploration and you like fill up your card on eBay. And it's like, you've got like serial numbered cards that are awesome, that are ungraded. You look at the pop reports, there's like pop two and you're getting these cards. And when it's all said and done, you pick up like two or three new cards and you just spent like maybe $300, maybe. Yeah. And I just like for the amount of fun that you can have, connecting with nostalgia and also like potential upside. Like, I don't know. I, last year I was like, why aren't anyone buying football cards this year? It's like buying some of these players that are currently playing is too much risk for me. Like I'd rather buy these hall of fame guys and they're not going to go up overnight, but how, however, there's opportunity with grading because some of these cards aren't being graded and also just incremental gains over a long period of time. Like, you can have a lot of fun doing it. Absolutely, man. And, and I think that's, that's sort of how the market works is like for every, you know, Joe Burrow that comes through or Cooper cup that comes through, like in money goes at these players, like it only makes the hall of famers safer buys because the odds of those guys, you know, the Cooper cups, the Joe Burrows becoming hall of famers or legendary or all timers is slim. And you have the guys that are already there. So when, when, when these guys start to regress in any capacity, like the crazy thing is we're already seeing that with Mahomes and Mahomes has had an incredible start to his career, but because he didn't win the Super Bowl all four of his years or five of his years, and people thought he should have because he was so close, they're already starting to exit his cards. Some people are, um, I'm not, I'm not saying panic on Mahomes. I'm just saying we've seen his prices dip because the expectations are so far from like what's really probably going to happen. Um, but I guarantee if, if we dug in the card ladder and we, we looked at Mahomes last three years to like a, a Brett Favre or, or you know, like a, a Hall of Famer, but not like one of the top three best players of all time. I bet Favre has just crept up slowly and I bet Mahomes has gone way up and way down below what has happened with Favre. So I think I, I love the young, exciting talent. Um, I love to watch it. I love to follow it. And sometimes I buy these these guys' cards because it's just fun to have cards of active players. But I also think it makes the legends, the Hall of Famers, just safer buys. And I think that's what takes their prices to another level. We're going to move on to another sport, but I'm going to want to plug an account. Um, there's an account, a guy named uh, Barry Brooklyn, Barry bright on Instagram. He's only got 376 followers. Let's get his account up because if you click into his page. He's got a just badass Ladanian Tomlinson collection. And I look at his cards. We've got to know each other because he, he collects in this space. And it's, it's one of those things. If Ladanian Tomlinson was playing right now, like how hot would his oh, cards would be, but no one's talking about him, you know? And he like, like, is fantasy football what it is today without LT? Like, I feel like he was like the person that really took like PPR fantasy football to a whole nother level and like made a guy like Le'Veon Bell relevant, you know, to, to people that participate. That's not a knock at your new PC, Chris McGill. But, um, you know, like, like I think of, you know, and, and I showed you that Marshall Falk rubies, like, like he was the LT before the LT, right? Like, those are the guys I get excited about. Like you said, the nostalgia and sort of reliving, um, you know, what they meant at the time that they were playing and sort of comparing it to what we're seeing with the guys now. It's just a lot of fun. I want to hear about John Morant from your perspective. I don't know if you've had John Morant come through, 
but John Moran has been a very polarizing topic across the community. Um, I, I think, you know, my, my take, and I, I will have put this out there on a Wednesday episode. My take is like sometimes in the hobby, like you can't justify everything. You can't justify all the stats and the potential, but it's like the guys that are making clips on your Instagram feed are the guys people want to buy. So I know he's really hot right now. Uh, what are your thoughts on John ja Morant in comparison? Do you think people like his cards are being sold at the right value at this point? Just any feedback you have on him and his market? It, yeah, it's tricky when it comes to, you know, we get that, we get that a lot. Like it was happening big time with Burrow going into the Super Bowl, like people trying to time, you know, when to sell stuff and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just hard, man. And that's why I always go back to starting with the collector sort of mindset and, and, and really digging into that because it becomes less stressful about, you know, when to sell, when to buy, like you just buy the cards you want when they become available for the amount of money that you can afford to spend on them. Um, and you don't have to think about the other things as much, but you know, uh, it, there's definitely been more activity on the rant cards. Um, like we've, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the cards we had a, a contenders gold auto, um, PSA nine. This was like sort of at the beginning of Jaws tear that he's had over the last couple of months. And that's the most watched auction we've, we've actually ever had. It had like 425 watchers. I mean, it, it was, it was ridiculous. So, so that was sort of my first glimpse of like, okay, we're going to hear a lot about John Moran for the next three months. And I think he is a super exciting player. I think that's, you know, extremely important when it comes to the hobby and relevance for young guys is like, you got to get people excited for then all the other stuff matters as you go winning championships, awards, all that kind of stuff. But again, I think uh, I just caution people to tread lightly. I think there's a direct correlation between how much you see people talking about a guy on Instagram to like, bad time to buy that guy. You know, I, I don't know how to phrase that better, but I think the more you hear people talking about somebody, the more cautious I'd be as a buyer. And um, and again, if you're a collector, you target the cards you want. And when they become available and you can afford them, you buy them. I don't, I don't care when it is because you, what you want out of that card is different than, you know, the investor that's, that's trying to buy something to make money. But I, again, I think it's, exciting for the basketball market um and and you, you see those comparisons that are always fun like people people now want to compare ja to trey or to luca or or whatever but you know it all shapes out over time as we learn more about these players and we see them perform for longer and things change in their career but uh, i think in general it just keeps the excitement of that specific sport market high and i think that's important for all players cards and prices you know i gotta close it out with you know i'm gonna talk about a topic that is near and near in my heart and a topic that you posted about but i i want to hear just your thoughts and what you're seeing just with uh and you had a post on this but maybe shed some light and context but just with some of these mo modern wrestling card sales that are happening um i think your sentiment was like this is like great organic growth like what is happening in this segment and it's something that's not necessarily happening in other segments all the time and like just personally as someone who's buying and selling modern wrestling cards at a, at a pretty regular basis like that feedback was from like an someone who probably up until this year hadn't probably had a bunch of modern wrestling stuff in your hands but i'd love to just get your analysis and feedback just based on what you've experienced so far in that segment yeah, wrestling cards have been fun for me, and I, I don't own any wrestling cards. And the first exposure I had really directly with wrestling cards was your first submission when you sent a bunch of, uh, was it 1982 All Stars um, yeah. wrestling cards to me? Um, and, you know, naturally it just wanted me to, it, it made me want to look more into wrestling cards and just learn more about them. Um, but where I was coming from with that post in terms of, wrestling car market being, you know, the most organic growth I've seen, uh, really came from a few areas. And I think, you know, for what we do, it came from the activity on the auctions. I think what we saw that we don't usually see, especially from emerging markets is we saw a lot of watchers. We saw a lot of unique bidders and we saw a lot of unique people winning auctions. It was not 
concentrated to three to five people buying all the wrestling cars we were listing. Um, so, you know, those are all signs of a widespread, passionate, organic market. You have a lot of people that want a lot of different cards and are active on those auctions. Um, but then just what, you know, the activity we got when we post about wrestling cards, it's, it's funny, you know, if, if, if you get into the comments of a lot of these posts, you can kind of see people's intentions with their comments if you look close enough. And when it's wrestling stuff, it's really just like you can feel the fandom coming through the comments. Like it's just people that love wrestling and love cards. And the fact that everybody we've dealt with in the wrestling card community is just like genuinely rooting for other wrestling card collectors to, to like get the cards they want. And when they sell a card, they want them to do well. It's not like a me over you thing. It's a like, let's build each other up and it'll build our community up. And, you know, we'll have more people genuinely passionate about wrestling cards. It's never felt like money was the motivator behind any activity that was happening with wrestling cards. So that, that's sort of the context of that post, but it was just fun to see. And it really started with your John Cena. Uh, was it the Fleer Royal Rumble? Yes, yeah. it, I think it set a record with us and and I think you know just a timing thing but um you know we got to see people posting about the card and the activity on the card and people that didn't own the card that were just excited to follow along with the sale of the card and um then we had a few big sales after that that Undertaker Topps Chrome Gold which that might have even been before yours it was had, yeah yeah and then we had the Roman Reigns Topps Chrome Refractor Auto uh that was a big sale some Alexa Bliss sales that were big it was just like all the energy behind it was just excitement for wrestling cards and for each other. It wasn't like, I want this car to sell high because I own copies of this car. So it was just refreshing to experience that. And it got me, it sort of re-energized me about the hobby that, you know, some of these emerging markets can be pure and they can be organic. And I think those are the ones to me that are going to last the longest and be the most sustainable. I love to hear that. Just it's a space I spend a lot of time on time in and collect in. And I, I, I will say this, and I can't say this with a hundred percent uncertainty because that would be foolish of me, but I, from my personal use case with the Cena card, and I know some of these other s- sales, no one's taking that money and, and going on a vacation with it. We're going and buying bigger wrestling cards that we, we, we just see opportunities to get out and then go apply that to other cards. So I don't know, there's a lot of movement and Yes, there's a lot of camaraderie and people cheering each other on. Um, you know, like with any space, there's some negativity and some things that happen, but that's just kind of how the hobby works. Um, maybe like before we let you get out of here, I'd uh, I'd I, I want I had this on my list to ask you. I'd love to know just like this year um, surprises. Like, is there has there been any big surprises on things just? with the markets that you weren't expecting stuff that's taking off or stuff that you thought might be taking off. That's not, um, would love to get any feedback there. I think it comes back to football for me and maybe it's just cause I'm a big football guy, but I thought football was going to take off for about two years now. And it's really just now doing what I thought it would do two years ago. And I think it all makes sense in terms of viewership, in terms of, which league has done the best from a marketing standpoint in terms of marketing their brand and their players. I think the NFL has probably done better than any other league. Um, and, and in terms of where people live that are collecting cards, it's, it's here in America, right? And, and football is the most viewed American sport by a mile. And I think it's what we saw with basketball over the last three to five years, because basketball was not always the sport and the hobby, right? It was baseball forever. The participants in the market and the market itself has to mature and that takes time. It takes people dabbling in, in, into that sport and then making mistakes, learning from those mistakes, educating themselves on other areas of that sport and evolving You know how they engage in the cards of that sport. And I think we're in the early stages of that with football, which is why a lot of the younger guys have skyrocketed in price and why a guy like Tom Brady, who, you know, is maybe the best football player of all time has taken off. He's active and he's one of the best of all time. I think it's going to be super interesting over the next one to two years. Now that Brady's retired 
what's going to happen with the overall football market and, and are people, is it going to mature? Are people going to start looking at Hall of Fame players and in 90s stuff like they had, like they eventually did with basketball when that market matured? If we go back to the COVID days, the PMGs weren't the things that, that took off at first. It was the LeBron James based rookie PSA 10s. It was the, the accessible, easy to learn stuff. And as those prices have come down, all the rare, more collectible, you know, harder to learn about cards have become more valuable. So I think that's something to look out for with football is the maturity of that market. But I'm also curious to see a few other things. I think something that has always concerned me is the fragmentation of the, of the market. You know, how many marketplaces we have. Um, I think it was it was eBay and then it was card shops and then it was card shows. And now it's, you know, 10, 15 online marketplaces and card shops and card shows, which is is good in a sense. Competition makes everybody better. But I think if we get too fragmented, it's going to hurt everybody involved. So I'm curious to see how that shakes up because I don't see a place where all of these marketplaces survive um, long-term. And I, and I don't, I wish well for, for every business. Um, but I just think from being, being able to support these type of things um, long-term is, is hard to see. So I'm curious to see how that shakes out. But, you know, I think the big thing hanging over everybody's head is the fanatics thing and how that's going to impact all of this. There's just a lot of question marks with that, but overall I'm excited. I'm still bullish on everything with the hobby. And, um, you know, I've been doing this really heavy for five years now, and I've never gone through a time where I said, there's nothing to buy. There's nothing, there's no opportunities. There's always been an opportunity if you just spend the time to look. And I think you have to have passion to, to spend that time. Really good stuff. Nick, tons of insights. Everyone go check him out on Instagram at Wharf Sports Cards. Uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes. I feel like we could have gone longer. There's uh, stuff still on my list, but we'll have to save it for another episode. Nick, thank you so much for jumping on. Take care, man. Thank you for having me. And guys, uh, check out our Instagram. We are hiring. Check out that post. Um, reach out to us if you guys are interested in, in you know getting on board with a growing brand. We're we're going to be continuing to hire over the next several months and just be on the lookout for announcements from us. Awesome. Take care. Thanks, man. I have been doing this show for a long time now, and there's just some people in the hobby I could sit down and talk to for hours on end. And Nick is certainly one of those guys. If you're thinking about consignment, go hit the man up. Love his process. Trustworthy guy. Does really, really good work. Make sure you relax. Enjoy the hobby this weekend, would you? Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. I will be back with more stacking slabs like I always am. You know I'm here next week. Peace out. 